0: Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since he could not get into Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat, the paralysed man, was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming who can forgive sins but God alone. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and so he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your man and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your man and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many um, who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, these are very powerful episodes in the early ministry of Jesus. with so much to teach us. Let's pray for God's help as our teacher. Lord, we pray that you would help us understand what Mark is writing here, and for what purpose. And we pray that we would grasp the simple principles embedded in these verses. For your glory, for our good. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Mark chapter 2, as I said near the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, these two episodes, The Forgiving, and the healing of the paralyzed man in verses 1 through 12, and then 13 through 17, the calling of Levi. Levi is Matthew, who uh, is the same um, Matthew as the author of Matthew's gospel. This is his call to be a disciple. Now, a number of different things we can learn from this. You'll see on the sheet uh, that accompanies the service five uh, headings which we'll work through. They all begin with the word forgiveness. Uh, Somebody said to me before the service that uh, five headings beginning with the word forgiveness is good. So, there we go. Although it should really be seven. Firstly, forgiveness is our greatest need. Now, for many of you perhaps, this might be a familiar story. A man coming down through the hole in the roof to the house. Others here might have never read or heard that story before. It's a very, very powerful episode in Jesus' ministry. Try to imagine what it would have been like that day. Jesus is in our house. Imagine the house, say the size of that little part of our church over there. It's crowded, jam-packed full of people. So many, verse 2, gathered That there was no room, not even outside the door. It's not as if they're standing at the door, listening in. There was not even room to do that. Not an inch of space, inside nor out. And no doubt stifling hot into the bargain. What is Jesus doing? the end of verse 2, he is preaching the word to them. That said, the Lord Jesus' habitual activity in Mark's gospel, preaching the gospel. And as he's preaching, and everyone would be listening and hanging on his every word, dust begins to come down from the roof. Maybe some of the, the tiling. And of course the crowd would have looked up and the Lord Jesus would have looked up and stopped preaching I guess and the dust became more debris and then a hole appeared and down through the hole came this helpless man Lord on his mat, his stretcher right to the feet of Jesus. The drama would have been palpable. Crowded or not in that room those right up against Jesus would have pressed back to make room for the stretcher and the crowd falls silent and then from Jesus comes what are if we just think about the reality of what he says, totally unexpected words son he says to him, literally my child and everybody in the room is expecting him to say Get up and walk. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now if you're familiar with the episode, you know that Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. But in that room that day, for us if we think about the reality of it, for the crowd, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the man's friends in the roof, the man himself as he lay on his mat, a shock then. And a shock now. John Chapman, the Australian evangelist, whom some of you will know, um, I could never get off of this, and uh, when he preached on this, at St. Helens in an evangelistic service in London, um, he leaned over the pulpit, as it were, as it were, in the part of the men on the roof who had lowered down their friend, and the men are shutting down to Jesus, not his sins, his legs. His legs. That's His greatest need. Now they believed in all sincerity that Jesus could and would heal him. Their faith was utterly sincere. Jesus recognised it, verse 5. And Jesus lacked no compassion. Just glance up to verse 41, the immediately preceding episode. Mark intends us to notice what Jesus has just said. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man with leprosy. Filled with compassion. We have no reason to suggest that Jesus was not filled with compassion for this man who was paralyzed. Jesus does not lack compassion for the physical needs of our fallen humanity, Jesus saw that that man had an even greater need than the healing of his paralysis. And to have not addressed the man's deepest need would have lacked compassion. Very, very powerfully in this episode, I think more powerfully than perhaps any other in the gospel accounts, Jesus demonstrates that this man and all humanity's greatest need is the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is our greatest need. and Whether you're 80 here or 8, the Lord Jesus says to us, whatever our awareness and grasp of these issues, that forgiveness is our greatest need. Because our greatest need is to be reconciled to God and sin separates us from a holy God. Therefore, forgiveness is our greatest need. And whatever, whether that man knew it or not, I like to think when he was an old man and died, he would have looked back to that day and said, Jesus did two wonderful things for me that day. But the greatest thing he did for me was to forgive my sins because it reconciled me to God. And I will die, but I will rise and I will live with God for eternity. Now, what does all this say to us? Well, it impresses on us the urgency of reaching out to unbelievers with the truth of the Gospel, doesn't it? Again, it's the whole urgency of the New Testament, the urgency of the whole Bible, for without forgiveness, men and women are separated from God and under his judgment. And with that urgency, there needs to be clarity at the very heart of the Gospel that is the forgiveness of sins. That is what the Gospel does. It forgives sin. It does many things, but at its very hard. it forgives sin. It reconciles sinful humanity to God by giving them the righteousness of Jesus through faith. And the clarity of our gospel explanation needs to alert people to the awareness of their need of forgiveness. And of course, perhaps above all, It reminds us that if we are Christians, that our greatest need has been dealt with. That in itself is reason for thanksgiving beyond all measure. That in itself is motivation beyond all measure to live for God. If you're not a Christian here, the Lord Jesus speaks out of Scripture to that man on the floor and speaks straight to you and he says, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. All it takes is faith and awareness of that greatest of all needs. Second point, verses 6-12, to forgiveness is through Christ alone. The objection in the minds of the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, verses 6 and 7, is understandable. You can just kind of feel them on their seats, kind of row A. Nobody sits on row A in church. <laughs> Maybe they did. But just to their argument, what is this man doing forgiving sins? It's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. See the irony? they right, of course. And Jesus turns to them in row A. And he says, I know what you're thinking. Why are you thinking these things? And I wonder how they reacted to that. I guess they would have perked up in their seats the divine, intrusive mind of God into their minds. So he says to them, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your man and walk? I don't think this is a trick question. My hunch is that it's just a rhetorical question with an obvious answer Jesus doesn't expect them to answer it. The answer, of course, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Anyone can say that. How do you know your sins are forgiven? Well, you need proof. And what wonderful proof it is. Think of the scene. Think of that crowded room. That man lying on the floor. Jesus had said your sins are forgiven. His greatest need identified. All his friends looking down from the hole in the roof. And the Pharisee says... What on earth are you doing? What rights have you to forgive sins? Jesus says, anyone can say it, but let me show you that I alone, in history, in humanity, in the world, can do it. But, verse 10, that you may know. See what he's saying? But that you may know that the Son of Man, and the Son of Man, he claims all these Old Testament titles for himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, you man, paralysed all your life. You've never walked. You've no sinews, no muscles, nothing. Get up. Pick up your mat and go to your house. He got up. Notice these real miracles. There's no, there's no kind of elaboration. Get up. He got up. Go home. He went home. And the understatement of the year in Mark's text, this amazed everyone. Wonderful, these things are written down for us by people who saw it. This amazed everyone, saying, we have never seen anything like this, nor had they. Now take this statement from the Lord Jesus to heart if you're a Christian, but that you may know that I have authority to forgive. Look at what I did to show that authority. I raised this man who had no muscles and sinews and maybe no spinal cord that worked. He got up and he walked out. And you amazed like the hymn. What a direct answer to that to the Pharisees' objection that only God could forgive sins. Standing before them that day is the Son of God, the Son of Man, who has come with a full authority of God to forgive people's sins. And he still has that authority. Notice, just as an aside, verse 10, authority on earth to forgive sins. When were that man's sins forgiven, all the past sins, all his future sins, at the moment Jesus forgave his sins. When are your sins forgiven? Whether you're eight or eighty. At the moment you trust in Jesus for your salvation. Isn't that wonderful. Jesus doesn't say so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority when you face Him in judgment and He weighs up your life and He takes the kind of scales and He works out the Son of Man has authority on earth on earth to forgive sins through his death and resurrection. Only Jesus has authority to forgive. The crowd were amazed. Never seen anything like it, yet chapter 3, verse 6 of Mark's gospel, they were hunting him down to kill him. It was then, and it is now an offensive message to the world, that Jesus alone has authority to forgive sins. It is an offensive message to humanity that sins need to be forgiven. It is an offensive message that only he is the way. If I explain that to somebody who's not a Christian and they come back to me and said, it is an offensive message, what Mark's Gospel encourages us to do is look at the evidence but that you may know that I have authority to forgive sins. Get up and walk. Thirdly, forgiveness is for everyone. Follow with me as I read verses 13 and 14. Mark intends us to run on. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him. Notice what he's doing again. He began to preach. Teach. he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Now, Andy's sermon this morning, I think he gave lawyers a bit of a hard time. If you're a tax... He's looking critically at me. He didn't. That's what I heard him say. If you're a tax collector here... What's that in modern parlance? A tax inspector. We only have one, and he's at a wedding in England. Any accountants here? I was an accountant. Now... In the ancient world, tax collectors were a rum lot. That's, that's what we're meant to pick up from this. Uh, a, a bit for the government, a bit on the side. That kind of thing. They were despised in society. They were in the, in the pockets of the Romans. Now, do you and I have sympathy for the paralytic? Yes. We're pleased he's been forgiven. But that the likes of Levi will be forgiven is a wholly different proposition He is a wholly unexpected and unwelcome choice. You can imagine Peter, two steps behind Jesus, tapping him on the shoulder. And uh, when Sally and I and the children watched the Passion Play in Prince Street Gardens, Peter was wonderfully cast. He kept interrupting Jesus. You can imagine Peter tapping Jesus' shoulder saying, Jesus, what are you doing? This is crazy. This is Levi, the tax collector. What are you doing? Why are you forgiving him? It's going to blow the whole operation. It's a shock that Jesus made that man get up and walk. It's a shock that he said, your greatest need is your forgiveness. It's a shock that he called Levi as one of his intimate band of followers. A shock to the Pharisees. Imagine the shock to them. A shock to us. And if you apply that to our sphere of thinking who is fit for the kingdom of God, it is a shock to us. Jesus' point, forgiveness is mine alone to give and it is for everyone. Maybe it shouldn't be too much of a shock after all God forgave us. Each one of us in different ways I think was a pretty bad risk. When we became a Christian, when I became a Christian, I suspect an angel peered over the parapet of heaven and said to God, no, 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 high risk. Not her, not him. And that's true of us all, isn't it? Now, a number of pertinent points by way of application from this third point in the sheet. Forgiveness is for everyone. It reminds us, doesn't it, that salvation belongs to God, not you and I. It's not my job as a minister to hand out salvation. It's not your job to hand out salvation. It's God's job alone. And God will choose whom God will choose. We must not resent his choices or decisions. Sometimes I think that we'd like to construct the kingdom of God in our own way, with our own choices. God says no. The fact that the Lord Jesus called Levi, and more particularly that he followed Jesus in response to that call, reminds us of the power of the gospel. And he was speaking this morning about Jesus' arrest. And there's Jesus, all he's got is words. He's surrounded by 200 Roman soldiers. Jesus says to them, you know, take me, but don't arrest my friends. And they let them all go. Why? Because the power of God is at work. What made Levi leave that life for that life that day? Maybe he woke up in the morning and said to Mrs. Levi, well, I've had a change of heart. This is really magnetic after all. And there's no sense of that in the text. What made Levi get up from that way of life for that way of life was the power of God in the gospel. The power to call. In an instant, Jesus said, follow me, and he left everything and followed him. The gospel can turn somebody's life on its head in an instant. It can turn someone's life on its head over a year or two years or 50 years. The gospel can work instantly, or the gospel can commit to someone for 40 years before it works. The power of the gospel gives us what? Confidence in our evangelism. It saves. I never think the gospel will save anyone. Until I look out and see you on a Sunday or think about my own life. You don't think the gospel will save anyone either, do you? But it does. Because it's the most powerful thing in the world. Now, put these two points together that salvation belongs to God, that He will choose whom He chooses, and the fact that the gospel has power to call people like Levi, fuse these two truths together and it will liberate us in evangelism. Evangelism will not be systematic in the sense of working out exactly it is who we should speak to, whether it is they're likely or not to respond, just how far down the track they are. We just live transparently as Christians, we go and tell the gospel and let God work. When I was in London, I would go for coffee often and Borough Market. If you're in London near London Bridge, go to Borough Market. It's a fantastic place. You just need a few hundred pounds for coffee. And I was with an Australian evangelist called David Cook, and he said to me, we sat around this table, and it's a kind of open coffee house. And he said to me, in his, I can't do an Australian accent. He said, he said, mate was the first word he used in an Australian accent. He said, why haven't you talked to anyone? And I sort of said in my very Scottish way, well, talking to you. And he said, I'm a Christian, mate. And he wasn't engaging people in in apologetic evangelism. He just talked to them. And he said, you know, I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian? What do you think about God? And every single one of them engaged with him. He had no idea whether God was at work in any of their lives. What he did have an idea of is that the gospel is a mighty powerful thing. And he will never ever see these people again. One more thing about Levi. The call of the gospel liberates him into a life of service. He becomes a disciple. Levi, the tax collector, the worst choice becomes the writer of the first gospel book in our Bibles. not that astonishing? What a significant ministry he had. But look at his first act of service, verse 15, nothing dramatic. He simply has Jesus for dinner. And lots of other people like him. He opens his home. Forgiveness always leads to to following following always means serving sharing the gospel fourth forgiveness brings us into fellowship forgiveness or being forgiven reconciles us to god that's the vertical bit but it also reconciles us to our fellow humanity to one another it brings us into fellowship with fellow forgiven sinners not only a new father but a new family when you become a christian You use the word Father, Abba, when you pray. Father. You also use the word brother and sister. These words have become a little kind of stereotyped in Christian communities, but they're profoundly true theologically. You are my brothers and sisters. I am your brother if you are a Christian. God is our Father. It's what makes Christian fellowship a degree higher than any friendship. The privilege of regeneration. Look at verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's home, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. That's a simple little prototype of the church. Its members have a common identity for given sinners. One level, one rank, one tier, no heirs and graces. And the people who just could not hack that were the Pharisees and the religious leaders. All these sinners having dinner forgiven mind but in fellowship with one another. I like to think that Peter and Levi warmed up together over the meal. I suspect Peter would have been sceptical until well on into the meal. It's a very ordinary powerful scene isn't it from this writer of the first gospel in the Bible. He is a meal follow me he got up and followed him and he opened his home and he had fellowship with fellow forgiven. Sinners, that's why no Christian can exist in isolation. We are called to live with one another in fellowship. Forgiveness is our greatest need, it is through Christ alone, it's for everyone. It brings us into fellowship. And fifth and finally, forgiveness is at the heart of Jesus' mission. Verse 16 When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with sinners? and tax collectors. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. All sorts of ink is spilt over that verse. It just means this. If you are sick, you need a doctor. What does a doctor do? Treat the sick, not the well. What does the Lord Jesus do? He comes for those who are sick. Who is sick? All humanity. But he helps those who will turn to him in faith. Those like Levi, who will say yes to his call. He is criticized to the hilt by the religious authorities for spending time with tax collectors and sinners, but he will not be diverted from his mission. Forgiveness of sins is the heart of his life. His mission is gospel. Jesus came to the earth to call sinners like us that we might be forgiven. He laid down his life as a sacrifice for sin that we might be forgiven. Maybe his call to you tonight, like Levi, if you're eight or 80, is follow me. Follow me after 40 years of listening. Follow me today. And so those of us who have followed, we're called to serve, above all, to proclaim this glorious gospel, liberated by the fact that we will not choose whom God will call And liberated by the fact that the gospel is powerful enough to call Levi that day powerful enough to have called you and me into the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this very simple text in Scripture explaining to us the very heart of the gospel that is the forgiveness of sin. Our greatest need met through Christ alone. Forgiveness for everyone, forgiveness that reconciles us not only to you but to our fellow forgiven sinners. The very heart of Jesus' mission. And may it be the very heart of our mission to proclaim this gospel, to tell this gospel that men and women and boys and girls might find that forgiveness in answer to their greatest need. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.